Calvary Chapel. Hi, Mercy. Get okay. out of my chair. Dang it. Shut the door after. Thank you. All right. Sometimes you got to do stuff like that. Uh, we are in John chapter 12. We're going to finish the chapter and finish uh, our study on the public ministry of Jesus in the Gospel of John. So I'll read um, from verse 42 through verse 50, and we'll pray, and you know the drill. So verse 42 says, Nevertheless, even among the rulers many believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Then Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And he who sees me sees him who sent me. I have come as a light into the world, that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. And if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. And Jesus, we, uh, we pray for believing hearts. We pray that we would be um, soft clay in the hand of the Maker. Uh, we, we're completely dependent on you, Holy Spirit, for our understanding of any, any of these things. And, and Jesus, even as you repeat yourself in this passage of things you've already said and we've already said it in John, if we've been deaf until now, when you say it again, let us hear. Give us ears to hear. Uh, if we've been blind to see what it is you're showing us, then enlighten the eyes of our understanding. Help us understand this so that we can glorify you, so you can be glorified in us. Lead the way, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. So, this, uh, this section from verse 44 to 50, this is Christ's final appeal in John to the masses. Um, this is the last time that he addresses the whole crowd, uh, among whom he has gained this certain level of fame, especially after the resurrection of Lazarus. You can see that in chapter 13, we begin the upper room discourse with the washing of the feet of the disciples and the, the last supper. And that goes on for several chapters from now. Um, but this is the, the final appeal to the crowds. And in this appeal, Jesus says a lot of things that he's already said before. Um, but verse 42 and 43, the part that's not the red letters, where we see this, this certain kind of belief uh, in conjunction with rejection, a non-confessing faith, um, and those who, who suffer from really the snare that is the fear of man. They love the praise of men more than the praise of God. This, these verses, 42 and 43, provide a really sharp distinction between secret disciples, which we'll see is really a, a contradiction in terms, and Christ's ministry to the rest of the disciples in chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. Um, and it, it's a different kind of ministry. He speaks to them in a different way, and they respond to Christ in a different way. Um, so let's look at verse 42. It says, Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him. 
But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Now the word belief here, uh, believed in verse 42, it's not a special word. It's the common word for believe. It's the, the root word is the, the word where we get faith from. Um, to believe, to put your faith in. But it's a word that in Scripture means different things. And still, in our English language, it means different things. Kind of like the word fear. You know, we, we see in Scripture that there is a fear of man that is a snare, that's bad. We see angels say, fear not. We read uh, in, in the epistles where it says, you know, perfect love casts out fear, for fear involves torment. And then in the same book, the same inspired text, we, we read, fear God and keep His commandments. We, we read in Psalm 25 that the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. And we wish that it was a different word, you know, that we could just do a little bit of Greek study and say this is this kind of fear and that's that kind of fear and it's totally different, obviously. Um, but it takes more work. It takes more study to be able to distinguish and determine and identify and define these kinds of words. Well, the word belief is kind of like that. And you see that the different apostles even encounter this word from different angles um, and with different, you know, theological dispositions. And, and they're not disagreeing so much as just using words in different ways. Paul writes about faith and says we're saved by grace through faith. You know, the just shall live by faith. And he talks about this faith that saves. We're saved by faith. And it's where we get the, you know, the, the Reformation principle of sola fide, you know, it's faith alone. And then James come, comes along and says... If you think faith can save you by itself, you're crazy. Of course, that's a paraphrase. But he does say that there is such a thing as dead faith. Faith without works is dead. And, and so we see there's this kind of belief here among the rulers, that even the rulers are believing in Jesus, but they don't confess him. And we see that they don't value the praise of God above the, the praise of men. Now, uh, you see this kind of secret discipleship. And one of the old commentators I read this week, he said, secret discipleship is a contradiction in turns. For either the secrecy will kill the discipleship, or the discipleship will kill the secrecy. You can't maintain a secret discipleship. And that's exactly what we see with some of these rulers. They're not named for us in verse 42 or 43, but in, in uh, other passages in the Gospel of John, we meet Nicodemus who came to Jesus at night, a secret disciple, who believed in him, who has believed in him, all the way since John chapter 3. And we have uh, Joseph of Arimathea. These are leaders of the people that have not confessed him. They are an example, I would say, of the smoking flax that Jesus does not quench. There's smoke but no fire. There's not any heat. There's not any light. Uh, but we can rejoice in the long-suffering mercy of God that such as these, who I would say at this point are not saved, are still savable by the one who is mighty to save. Now, in the case of Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, the discipleship killed the secrecy. They came out after the crucifixion and identified with a crucified Savior, with a dead Jesus, and the fear here, that the fear that they should be put out of the synagogue was overcome with a healthy fear of God. They no longer loved the praise of men. They weren't going to get that anymore. 
but they crave the praise, the honor that comes from God. Now, if you glance back at verse 37, nope, not 37. Uh, if you glance back at verse uh, 26, how about that? If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him, my father, will honor. Christ has already offered honor that comes from God. That is a thing of great value. Um, you know, that people that you love, people that you value, that you respect, that you think highly of, a compliment coming from that person means a whole lot more than a compliment coming from someone who you don't respect and don't think highly of. Well, these, these rulers of the people didn't value the honor, the praise that comes from God because they didn't respect God above man. That's a horrible, horrible place to find yourself. Now, they did not confess him. That's what it says in verse 42. And that's, that's a problem because we read, if you confess with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. They had a sort of belief, a kind of belief, but it was not a saving faith. It was not a saving faith. And we see that they didn't confess him, and confession is a, a core principle of salvation. You know, back in John chapter 3, when we talked a lot about belief, we used the um, uh, you know, kind of kind of stale, maybe overused cliche uh, definition of faith. It's like a parachute. You know, you can believe that parachutes exist, that they are a thing. They're not a conspiracy theory. They're not just something made up. They're not just something in cartoons. Parachutes are real things. Uh, you can even believe that they work, that they are effective, that parachutes are indeed mighty to save. Uh, but if you jump out of a plane without one on you, you are in big trouble. That's a rough landing. And the way Paul talks about faith in Christ is he says, you put on Christ. You put on Christ. Um, and they had a belief. They had a sort of belief, but it's a belief that James would say, that's a dead faith. There's no works to back it up. They're not going to confess that they know him. They're not going to follow him. And so they're not going to receive the honor that comes from God. That's a tragic place for these men to find themselves in. So what held them back? Well, it, it's something called the fear of man. And it's really described for us there in 43. For they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. Now, uh, Proverbs says that the fear of man is a snare. A snare that's a trap. Okay, so there's bait. And if you take the bait, you get caught. Um, the praise of men is the bait. You think that approval, that that honor is really what you want. But then once you go for the bait, you get trapped in a place and you're ineffective and unable to leave that place. These men had taken the bait of the praise of men and they couldn't leave that spot. You know, the trap had clenched onto their, their legs and they couldn't go out and follow Christ because they, they were there taking the bait of, of the, the praise of men. And the, what they wanted to hear, so ironically, what they wanted to hear, and, and maybe what you want to hear, is for someone that you esteem and value to tell you, well done. Well, here's the thing. At the end, someone will tell you, well done. Who do you want it to be? Because there's people 
whose words don't matter, whose words don't have the power to create. There is a society, there's a culture, there's a world that is fallen and already judged that may see you living a worldly life and, and culture at large, society at large will tell you, well done, good job looking out for number one or good, good job conforming to this world rather than being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Well done. Or, at the end of time, Jesus will welcome you into the kingdom and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And you have to ask yourself, who do you want it to be who tells you well done? Whose opinion of you matters the most? It should be God's. You know, behave in such a way that is commendable to God because he's the one who has honor worth pursuing, honor worth um, craving. You know, and if you love the praise of men more than the praise of God, uh, you're, you're wanting a thing of no value and you're esteeming it above something of eternal value. So examine your heart. Examine your heart. Look at your desires and say, whose opinion of me matters most? It ought to be the Lord's. If not, then you have fallen in a trap. You've fallen in a snare called the fear of man and you will be ineffective. You'll be silent. You'll be ineffective. You'll be uh, unable to pursue Christ. And, and remember, Jesus said, follow me for where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. That's the route you want to be on. And of course, that's where we see Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus eventually end up. And we can be encouraged by that. Because if you're more of a secret disciple type right now, it doesn't have to stay that way. Nicodemus didn't stay that way. They stood up and, and they identified with Christ and they threw off all the, uh, you know, the, the fear, the, the potential embarrassment. What are people going to say about me? Uh, and they, they rejected that and said, no, I will follow Christ. And that's essentially what, what Jesus is calling men to do in this final plea of his public ministry. So let's go to verse 44. Then Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And he who sees me sees him who sent me. Uh, now again, he, Jesus in this passage isn't saying anything new. He's repeating himself. He's repeating things that he's said since uh, since chapter 1, essentially, okay? It's been all the way through. Um, but now he's saying it loudly. Um, some of these conversations have been with smaller groups, but Jesus has said, not in John, but in other Gospels, you know, the things that were said in secret are going to be shouted from the rooftops. Well, now is kind of a shouting time. And, and the word cried out there gives the idea of persistent shouting. Persistent shouting. And it's persistent... Um, not just here, but again, throughout the gospel, he's been saying these same things, these same themes about light and darkness, about judgment, about authority, about everlasting life, about unity with the Father. And so he's repeating all of these things. Aren't you glad that Jesus repeats himself? Because we're thick. Let's say we're thick-headed, you know? We, we are uh, dull of hearing. We're not quick on the uptake. And I am thankful that, that God repeats himself. I'm thankful sometimes that he raises the volume. Now, this is the second time in the Gospel of John that Jesus has had something to yell about. Um, and this is the second time in John when it says that Jesus raise his, raises his voice. Um, you know, back in chapter, uh, 
Oh, what wasn't it? Um, I have it written down somewhere. It was chapter 7 or 8. Um, at the feast, Jesus lifts up his voice and says, Come unto me. And um, it's chapter 8, verse 37. There it is. I just lost it in my notes. Chapter 8, verse 37. He says, Come to me. And he, he shouted to the people, Come to me. And now he's, he's shouting again, If you believe in me, that's the same as believing in God. And I know that's what you want to do. <laughs> I'm glad that he repeats himself. And, you know, when we were in chapter 8 and we saw Jesus shout for the first time, Jesus, gentle Jesus, meek and mild, not. Um, and we, we cross-referenced that, compared that to Elijah. You know, Elijah hears the still, small voice. Well, sometimes God whispers, and other times he shouts. And he knows what to do in each of those times. And I'll remind you that Elijah was a fire and brimstone kind of guy who was... Uh, had emotional roller coasters that he was always on. And at the time when God encounters them, he's very depressed, uh, maybe even suicidal, uh, upset, and doubting the faithfulness of God. And God whispers to him. Well, here we have people that believe but aren't confessing. We have people that think they know enough about Jesus to be safe, but they don't really want to follow him with their lives. They're not following him in that extreme self-denial. They're not in the following him in the way of the cross. And Jesus shouts at the heart of hearing. And, and he shouts at them and he says, He who believes in me, believes not in me, but in who sent me. And he who sees me, sees him who sent me. Now the emphasis here is on unity with the Father. And I want to remind you, this is why they're trying to kill him. This is one of the reasons why they're trying to kill him. That he had made himself equal with the Father. And so now as it gets closer to the cross, he is actually giving his enemies more ammunition, more ammunition of, uh, to use against him in their religious courts. He is claiming unity with the Father. This is bold. Jesus is bold. But this is the truth that has the power to save them. These same people that are going to turn on him, that are going to accuse him, that are going to crucify him. They're going to do so because Jesus claimed unity with the Father. But the thing they needed to hear is that Christ is one with the Father. Jesus is bold and Jesus is compassionate. You know, if you look back at verse 25, it says, He who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And then two weeks ago, we, we, we uh, talked about that phrase, you know, pursuing life with an attitude of furious indifference to it. That's what Jesus is displaying for us right now. You know, if, if he's, he's not putting his guard up, not at all. He's saying this is the truth, knowing that the truth will get him killed. This is exactly the opposite spirit of what we see the rulers of the, of the people in 42 and 43 display. 43. It's the opposite spirit. Their spirit was defense, saying, I need to protect myself. I have to do what's best for me. You know, I, I believe these things are true, but I know I can't really act on that right now because it would put me in a very risky place. It would put me in danger. It might not be healthy. I wouldn't feel safe. Jesus operates in the opposite spirit of that, saying, I know they're going to kill me. What are they going to kill me for? That I claim equality with the Father. Well, you know what? Because that's true, I'm still going to say it. I'm going to say it loud. And because it has the power to save, I'm going to proclaim it even louder. Now, this is a truth 
that has appeared before in John, and it'll be repeated again in chapter 14 when Philip says, show us the Father, and that'll be enough for us. And he says, have I been with you so long you still don't get it? Weren't you there in chapter 12 when I said this? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so he's declaring this so clearly without any subtlety here, which is somewhat unusual for him because sometimes he, he speaks in veiled terms, you know. Um, and in verse 46, he says, I have come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. Now again, Jesus is summarizing his larger message that John has shared. Um, you know, we, we can do a quick run through even. I think I'm going to actually read these, these verses. Jesus had said these same things over and over and over again. And now he knows this is the last time he's going to address the crowd. And so he is stating emphatically the same things that he has said and that John has described already in the gospel. Uh, in, in uh, let's see, John chapter uh, 1, verse 4 and 5, John writes, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Well, that scripture is fulfilled for us in John chapter 12, verse 46. In John chapter 3, verse 19, Jesus speaking to Nicodemus, one of the, the secret disciples, who we know eventually his discipleship will defeat the secrecy. But John is, or sorry, Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus. And in verse 19, he says, And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. Which is why, after this speech, there's no great revival. After this speech about Jesus being the light and, and having authority to judge, but withholding judgment now during this time, uh, Jesus claiming this authority and he, he's declaring truth, people still don't come to him because their deeds were evil and they love the darkness so their deeds wouldn't be exposed. In, um, let's see, chapter 8. In John chapter 8, verse 12, that's not too long ago we were in chapter 8. Seems like a little while ago. John chapter 8, verse 12. Um, Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And then John chapter 9, verse 5, he says, As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. In John chapter 11, verse 9 and 10, Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks into the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Um, in John chapter 12, just earlier in the same chapter, in verse 35, Jesus said to them, A little while longer the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. So, he said this before. Okay? If they haven't gotten it now, they should get it. They should get it by now. Uh, and just reading our text in John 12, again, verse 46, he says, I have come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. He's very, very clear about what he's doing here. And last week I pointed out the connection between light and, and morality. And the, the conversation of light and darkness in the Gospel of John especially is, is um, just kind of a dual understanding here, okay? 
And the darkness speaks both of error, of just ignorance, like not knowing any better, and, you know, sin. Uh, sin with, with knowledge. You know, men love darkness because their deeds are evil. They don't want light because then they'll be exposed and they know what they're doing is wrong. So, you know, uh, darkness speaks of um, both, both the ignorance and the willfulness of sin. Conversely, the light of Jesus speaks both of, of the uh, awareness of your sin and his righteousness, the awareness of truth, and also of moral righteousness, of, of holiness. You know, we sing, holiness is Christ in me. Jesus is the light of the world. That means he reveals the true nature of the world and reveals truth itself, and also reveals righteousness, holiness. Uh, Jesus is the light. Now, belief, true faith, not the dead faith that James talks about. True belief leads you out of darkness, out of both ignorance and sin, into the light of Christ, where there is truth and righteousness. So this loud call comes out from the mouth of Jesus. Then and now, there's a loud call that says, Believe believe. He says, that's why I'm here. That's why I'm illuminating this world. Is why there's light, so that you can believe and not stay in the darkness of your sin and ignorance. Believe. Now, verse 47 says, and if anyone hears my words and does not believe or keep them would be a better one. We'll talk about that. I do not judge them. I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Now, we have to explain this a little bit, because I'm sure you're thinking of other verses that sound like they say almost the opposite of this. Uh, well, first, the word, the second time believe shows up, or it's first time in this verse, it says, if anyone hears my words and does not believe, that should be keep, really. It's a different word than is used in verse 46 for believe. And, and Jesus says, if, if you hear my word and don't keep them, I'm not judging you right now. I do not judge you. Um... For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. And then he explains in verse 48, He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. There's a couple things happening here. Jesus is saying, I'm not judging now. And then he's also saying, I'm not judging with partiality. My word is going to judge, not just my, my you know, opinions necessarily. Uh, we'll, we'll, I'll explain that in a second. Um, but please, mo please notice that in verse 47, when he says, I do not judge, or I did not come into this world to judge, it, it is not the same as saying, I will not judge. We know that Jesus will judge. If you flip back to chapter 5 in John, um, chapter 5, verse 22 and verse 27, but we'll just read verse 22. He says, For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. The Son has the authority to judge. But judgment, condemnation, was not the purpose of the incarnation. Okay, we know this. John 3.17, right? John 3.16, you know, of course. You should know John 3.17 as well. It says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that through Him the world might be saved. I misquoted that really bad, but you should actually read the real thing. Um, the simple truth must be embraced 
that Christ came into the world to save sinners. This is what Paul says, 1 Timothy 1.15. Paul says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then Paul adds, Of whom I am chief. Okay, the first time that Jesus shouts in John, he says, Come to me, come to me, all you who are thirsty and drink. I will give you water to drink. He says, fountains of living water will come up out of you. Actually, it's great. He says, come to me. Well, the second time, he's shouting and he says, I came here so that you can believe in me, but I came to save the world. I'm not here to judge you. I came to save you. Now, if these are the two times in John where Jesus shouts to the masses, I think there's something for us here. We must continue shouting these truths at a high volume. We have to continue declaring these truths as well. Come to Jesus and receive satisfaction for your souls. Are you thirsty? Come to Jesus. And then we have to keep saying, Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Christ came to save sinners. He didn't come to judge. He came to save. Now again, we read verse 48. And we, we have to recognize that when Jesus says, I do not judge, he's not saying, I will not judge. <laughs> he's saying, I, and when he says, I do not judge, he's not saying that you won't ever be judged. He's saying, I'm not judging you right now, and I'm not judging you uh, with any partiality. Now, I'll explain this right now. Modern nations, there was a time when our country prided itself in being a nation of laws, rather than kings who have whims, rather than personality cults and things. Believe it or not, there was a time where this was true. And that, that idea of a nation being run by laws rather than just people's opinions or people, people's uh, yeah, the personalities, uh, it, that, that's a strong government. That's a good thing. Now in Isaiah 11, uh, chapter 3 and 4, uh, or, sorry, chapter 11, verses 3 and 4, it says that Jesus, um, well, I'll just read it to you because I'm not really quoting verses very accurately today, so I'm going to look it up. Um, Isaiah 11, Isaiah 11, verse 3, uh, says, His delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness he shall judge. Okay, and it continues on to say how he will judge. He'll judge the poor and decide with equity, the meek on the earth. Okay, so he's not judging according to sight or hearing. He's doing it with righteous judgment. Okay, now here Jesus says, I'm not going to judge you. My word is going to judge you. Jesus will pronounce judgment. All judgment has been entrusted in him. But he will do it according to the word of God that was spoken. He is entrusting his hearers here with a lot of responsibility. They are aware now that they're choosing their judgment and that their judgment is coming on the last day. He says, you reject me and you don't receive my words. You have what judges you. The word that I've spoken will judge you on the last day. Now, in a way, this is true of believers and unbelievers. And in 1 Corinthians 3, which I'll turn over to, we see a, a, a kind of judgment that Paul writes to the church about in um, 1 Corinthians 3, in verse 11, he says, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. 
Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Jesus says, it's my words that will judge. What have you done with the word of God? Christ has spoken. He has shouted, believe on me. He has shouted, come to me. And those who have rejected that call will be judged by that same word. Well, did you go to him when he called you? He said, believe, did you? He invited you. He welcomed you. Did you go? His own word will judge you in that last day. And, and you know what? The, the word that he shouts, come to me. You'll be judged by that standard. The judgment of God will be something um, that comes, that actually happens, that you can look forward to uh, with confidence, knowing that you are not condemned, that Christ didn't come to condemn but to save, but also knowing that there is a standard here of Christ's words. Come to me. And he's going to ask, did you? I invited you. Did you believe in me? You were thirsty, and I said, come to me and drink. Did you come? Now, the idea of the judgment of God would have been something familiar uh, for the people Jesus was addressing here. Again, he's not saying anything new, but what he is saying that may have sounded new is he says, you know the judgment of God is coming, but my word is God's word. You, as, as Orthodox Jews, you know, believing in the law of God, are familiar that you'll be judged according to a law, but I'm telling you that my words are God's words. Verse 49, he says, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. Now, I reminded you of this verse when we've talked about everlasting life, where Jesus says, this is everlasting life, this is eternal life, that they may know you and your Son whom you have sent. That's his command, to know him and his son, whom he has sent. Now this, um, this phrase that he says, I, I haven't spoken of my own authority, or I haven't spoken of my own, but only what my father showed me. I won't read them all to you like I did with the light of the world passage, but Jesus has, has already said this in chapter 5, verse 30, chapter 7, verse 16, chapter 7, verse 17, chapter 7, verse 28 and 29, chapter 8, verse 26, chapter 8, 28, chapter 8, 38, Jesus had said, I, I don't speak of my own. He said that many times. He's repeating it here. Jesus did only what the Father told him to do. Now this, this statement, not only gives authority and weight to what Jesus says, confirming him as the faithful Son of God, saying, I do only what my Father says, but it also finishes out this chapter 12 thing that we've been studying for the last three weeks. Really, this is, um, and we've been in 12 longer, but really this passage is the end of a sort of three-part series that began in chapter 20. You know, chapter 20 through 26, or really 27, was about death. And Jesus saying, follow me, even to the cross. If, it, if a grain of wheat stays by itself, it remains alone, it has to be buried. 
He's talking about death. And in verse 27, he says, this troubles my heart. My heart's troubled, but I, but I can't say, Father, deliver me, deliver me from this hour because this is my purpose. So instead, I pray, Father, glorify your name. And then the Father spoke and said, I have and I will again. And people are, are deaf to that. And they're, they're deaf. And Jesus, in this passage, shouts at those hard of hearing people. And he gives his last appeal and, and says, judgment's coming, but, it's not, but now is the time for mercy. And he, he, he says all of this loudly with conviction. And at the end, he says, I only do what my father says. I only speak what my father says. You know, there was, there was the passage about the seed being buried, death, and a call to follow. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. In verse 27, Christ was troubled from that, but it, he, he chooses obedience. And he talks about light. And we, we talked last week about true understanding coming from obedience and extreme self-denial. And the, the call to Christ, to the light of the world, the call to believe, the call of all who are thirsty to come, that's clear. Jesus has said in these passages, follow me, serve me, believe in me, keep my words. So how do we imitate Christ? We seek to do the will of the Father only. We seek to echo Jesus in his Gethsemane prayer saying, not my will, but yours be done. We pray the Lord's prayer as he has given it to us. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We, as Jesus says, I don't speak of my own. That's what he says here. I don't speak of my own. I don't say what I want to say. I say only what my father tells me to speak and to say. You know, as Isaiah says, you know, he doesn't judge with what his eyes see or what his ears hear. He judges with righteous ju judgment. So we, denying ourselves, handing over our own rights, our own opinions, our own authority, our own autonomy, we say only what the Father says I should say. That's what I speak. Only what the Father tells me to think. That's what I want to think. Only what the Father says to believe, that's what I believe. Only what the Father says to value, that's what I value. Only what the Father says I should want, that's what I want. And then we pray with Jesus as he prayed in verse 28 of this chapter, Father, glorify your name, knowing that when you pray, Father, glorify your name, you are saying, not my name, not my will be done, but yours be done. That's our prayer. So let's pray it now. Father, glorify your name. Father, lead us in this path of the cross, this cross-centered Christianity. Lord, we, we come to the light. We have our deeds exposed. We have the nature of our heart exposed. We, we come out of darkness, transferred into your kingdom, Jesus. We pray that your light would shine brightly that it would heal us both from our error and our willful sins. God, that truth and righteousness would define your church. We want to follow you. We want to serve you, not secretly, but publicly. God, let true discipleship, true faith, not dead faith, defeat every last element of secrecy that may remain in our discipleship. We follow you. Father, glorify your name. Amen.